We've been looking at what it means to live a life of faith. And we, uh, this, this word faith, it, it's, a, it's a bit of a religious type word. We only really use it in circles like here in, in church. But it's actually something that we do pretty much every day. Every day we're putting our faith in something. I was just thinking yesterday, I, I went down the park with our kids and I, uh, I decided that I didn't want to walk, so I got one of the kids' scooters and got the dog and uh, we, I was holding the dog chain with my, my little finger and holding the, onto the scooter and Evie, she decided she didn't want to walk either, so she came on in front of me and we're going down the hill towards the park down there and we're racing down, and do you know when the pavement is kind of, it kind of pops up a bit, and you kind of, you're doing these calculations, like, am I going to make it, or am I going to fall? Um, well, I quickly looked down at my scooter, it has, has fairly nice big wheels, and I uh, wouldn't have tried it on those little wheel scooters, but because these were big wheels, and, and I'd been over some stuff like this before, uh, I said, here we go. And uh, straight over, made it, no problems. Uh, but there's a, there's a sense in which every single day, we put faith in things and people, and, and uh, I, I put my faith, I didn't just believe that that scooter would carry me over that, um, that hump, but I actually, um, there, was an, there was an action, I actually put my, my faith and my action in that, and, uh, and it, it worked that time, um, which was good. <laughs> we are... Uh, when we, when we talk about faith, and we talk about faith in relation to the Christian walk, it's putting our faith not just in anything, but it's talking about putting our faith in Jesus and putting our faith in His promises that He has made to us. And there's this, we've talked about this everyday walking uh, in the promises and in the truth that God has given us, and we, we walk in faith every day. And knowing that sometimes God takes us, tells us to take a big, bigger of a step, a bit of a, a leap of faith. And life tends to be a bit like that. As a follower of Jesus, we take everyday little steps and then there's some bigger steps or some bigger leaps um, as, we, as we walk. But I don't know, maybe, maybe you might be in the midst of a, uh, a big, bigger leap this morning uh, that God might be uh, tapping on your heart to take. We're going to be looking this morning at, the, um, at faith, but how hope relates to that. Uh, hope, is, hope is something incredibly important. There's a, there's a sense in which we could see hope as just kind of being the sprinkles on an ice cream, kind of something nice that you can to kind of upgrade the ice cream in a sense. But hope is so much more than just the sprinkles on an ice cream. Hope in life, is, 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 it's like the cone. Uh, if, if you don't have a cone, you just have ice cream, you've got a bit of a mess, and it's not very easy at all. Uh, hope, is, hope is incredibly important in life. Now, I, over the last uh, number of, of years now, I have um, had the, the privilege and also um, the challenge of walking with a number of people that are at the very end of their life. And there, there is a, a, an enormous difference between those who know that the best is yet to come and those who, ha, who see that the best has already been. 
The difference between walking with a, with a follower of Christ through those end days, between those who know that the best is yet to come, I'm going to see Jesus, and, 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 and he's going to restore all things. That changes the way uh, the, the last few, um, few days of life is often experiences. Difficult, yes, but there's a, there's, a, there's a dramatic difference between those two. The hope...
that we have as Christians, that, um, that, that things are going to be better, that there's, there's something that's going to be better one day. It, uh, it, 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 it strengthens our faith through the everyday stuff of life. This, this, this knowledge and the, and the knowledge of the promises of God that He has for us in the future, these, these promises that He has for us, the hope that comes in that, Even if, if life is, is going really, really well, and we know times in our lives where, where things are just going well, everything's just, just kind of, um, everything's just, just harmonizing well, the family's going well, maybe you're on holidays, uh, you've got nothing to worry about, and things are just going well. Or even if it's on that extreme other side, which, which some have experienced as well, where uh, life just feels like a battle and there's some incredible truth. Um, the Christian, wherever they are on that spectrum, can look ahead and say, it's going to get even better. That, that's something extraordinary. And it's something that makes a, makes a huge difference in the life of a believer. been looking at Joshua, and um, Maddie read for us this morning, Joshua chapter 10. Here we have the Gideonites again, and, and they've, they've just, uh, we heard last week, they just came up to Israel and had deceived them. And what happened there is that it was, it was quite a, an incredible deception, wasn't it? Uh, they, uh, they pretty much fabricated evidence to support their story. And a uh, pre- pretty impressive way they did it. Now, what happens is the, the kings that they were meant to be allying with against the Israelites... They, they hear about that the Gideonites have allied with the Israelites, they've made a, treat, a truce with them, and they're not very happy. In fact, they're, they're, they're not very happy at all. So what they do is they gather together and they say, we're going to take out these Gideonites. You do not go and side with the enemy. So they gather together and they come against the, uh, the city uh, where the Gideonites are, and they're, uh, they're in trouble. And they send a pigeon... I don't know what they send, maybe a runner or something to the Israelites. Uh, let them know that uh, they're in trouble, they're being attacked. Would you come and help Joshua? They're asking Joshua, who they deceived, who they uh, basically lied to, to come and save them in this, uh, in this, this time. But this, this would be the perfect time for, for Joshua to kind of go... Hmm. Uh, have fun. Uh, you've, you've got what's coming to you, and uh, this is this is great. We don't even have to worry about this now. Uh, we can't attack the Gideonites, but whew, let's let's let someone um, take them out themselves. Uh, but Gideon doesn't do that. He looks at the promise that he'd made to them, and uh, they prepare to go and help the Gideonites. And we hear that they they head over that way and. Uh, they, they travel some distance, and it's actually quite a really steep climb. Uh, they travel through the night, and they get there. And when they arrive there, uh, God says this to them. He said, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hands. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. We're going to come back to that verse, because that's the verse that I want to, want to really focus on this morning. Uh, but he goes up there, and God gives them a, a marvelous victory. sends uh, sends stones, or it's translated in the um, in the NIV as, as hailstones. 
upon them, and it says that more people were actually died of these stones than died of uh, the sword. And then we've got this uh, quite peculiar and, and uh, marvelous thing that God does is Joshua speaks to the sun and the moon and they stop. And if you go to any commentary regarding this passage, that's where they speak about mostly. Uh, there has been lots and lots of ink spilled in regards to that sun and the moon stopping and what that actually means. And uh, there, there are a myriad of theories there. Uh, I, I read pages after pages and and uh, it seems to be what this whole passage, what all the commentaries seem to talk about. And I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what happened there. Um, some people say it's, it's uh, talking in poetic language. Some people say it's sort of hyperbole. Some people say, well, what's actually happening here? Is this, a, is this a global event? Did God stop the earth in some way? Or is it just a local event? Is it a, a perception thing? And uh, I... I, uh, I just don't get very excited about this part. Um, it's, uh, I, for me, it, God, God created me, and He created the world. And uh, if God wants to stop a world and allow the sun and the moon to stop and, and work out all the implications of that, well, He's able to do that. Um, if, it's, if, if we're reading some ancient historic text and there's some other stuff going around here in, in, the, in the way it, it's kind of using poetry and stuff, um, then that's okay. But I'm, uh, I'm not going to limit God in, in any way there because uh, he, he absolutely uh, could, could do that. And uh, it, it, it seems to suggest that's exactly what he did because he said something about there that um, this has never happened before or since. And uh, it talks about this other book that it's written down in. So, extraordinary event, anyway, happened on this day. But that's not where we're going to spend most of our time today. Uh, we're going to spend our time in this verse. It says, The Lord said to Joshua... Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hands. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. That verse for Joshua and the people, it invokes hope for them. Uh, he, he, he gives a promise of the future and there's hope that strengthens and, uh, and gives life to their present faith. And I, I think of, this doesn't just, he's, he's not just talking about the battle, but it, he, he's reminding of the, of the promise that God had actually given to them, that God had, had given to the Israelites, that this would be their land. Uh, this, was, this was part of God's plan. He was, at, at the end, once the, uh, the sin of the Amorites or, or the Canaanites had come to its completion, he was going to judge them through giving the land to uh, Israel. This concept of land and a people and God runs right throughout the Old Testament. Actually, it runs right throughout the whole story of redemption for the whole Bible. We, we go right back to Genesis, and in Genesis, we've, we've got land, which is the garden, a people, which is Adam and Eve at that stage, and then, and then God, uh, who was present and with them. And they were meant to be with him and enjoying his presence in that land. But we know what happened. They, uh, they disobeyed God. They said, we'll do it our way. God withdrew his pe- presence and, uh, and moved them off that particular land, the garden there. And uh, we'll, we'll read shortly in Romans that he actually did that 
in hope. We're going to look at what that, what that means. But we get hints of what God's going to do. That he's, he's, he's not just going to, to leave the, the project that way, the human project. What he's going to do is he's actually going to restore a land once again, uh, restore his people, and he will be their God. We see this in the promise that Abraham uh, was made to Abraham. He was given the promised land. Uh, there was a people, the Israelites, and uh, they were to, uh, there, was, there was God. God was to dwell in that land as well, especially uh, in, in the midst of the people through the temple there. But that story that uh, takes up a significant part of our Bible in the Old Testament, it actually, it actually looks forward to another story, which is, which is the culmination of time. When God is going to come back, Jesus is going to return, and there's going to be a land, new heaven and new earth, a renewed heaven and renewed earth. There's going to be a people, that's the people that have chosen to follow Jesus, and there's going to be God present with us. We will be his people and he will be our God. This, this land, people and God theme runs right throughout Scripture. And, and we're kind of near the end here somewhere. I don't, don't know how far off we are, but we're, we're closer to the end here now than we were um, yesterday. And this is our hope. We're, we're hoping and we're longing and we're looking forward to this, this new heaven and new earth where God uh, brings everything together and restores all things. I want to open, it, would you open with us to, I've got, actually got it on the screen up there, Romans 8. Wonderful passage. Starting to get into this a little bit. The Old Testament saints had no idea, or hmm, they, they started to get a little bit of an idea of this through Isaiah, but uh, the clarity was, was, was becoming more and more shapened as we move into the New Testament time and as Jesus comes. This is Paul, he's speaking in Romans 8, and we'll step into verse 19, talking about uh, where we are now and looking to the future hope of what God has promised. Verse 19 says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Then we've got this little word there. He subjected it in hope. Uh, When I I highlighted that in my Bible, I thought that's that's a message in itself in that in hope, just these, this little phrase which just changes everything. Well, this is talking about, it's talking about that first land, people, and God story. And it's talking about when Adam and Eve, they said to God, you know what, we'll, we'll do this our way. We don't want to do it your way, God. And uh, made, a, made a mess of things. We, we, we tend to have that, uh, a carryover of that in the human heart. That kind of just says, God, we'll, we'll, I, I can do it my way. And uh, we've seen what that looks like right throughout history. It, it makes a mess of things. Makes a mess of, of our relationships with, it, with ourselves, with us and others, with us and God and, and the whole world. There's brokenness because of those decisions. There's a sense in which, um, well, it's a, it's a very real sense in which God re- uh, withdrew in some way. Now, he kind of said, 
if you, if you want to do it your way, um, go for it. And it hasn't gone very, bad, very well at all. But it was subjected to futility, to death, to brokenness. It was subjected in hope. What was the hope there? We get a little, little idea of that in Genesis. It talks about the seed of a woman, a child of a woman to come, would, would, would crush the head of a serpent and his heel would be bruised. It's these little, little indications. I'm not sure if they picked it up back then, that, that God was going to do something, that he's, he was embedding hope into that story right from the beginning. And even the calling of Abraham, they're calling a people to be a blessing to the, to the nations, that was another uh, little signal of hope that would, that would finally culminate in Jesus coming and uh, Jesus living and dying and being resurrected and being, being um, and, and reigning now through his people. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and be brought into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning um, as in pains of childbirth. I like that that little phrase there, um, pains of childbirth. This is, um, that's that's a phrase there that isn't saying the best has already been. It's, it's It's a phrase that says the best is yet to come. This is a this is this is suffering. It's it's difficulty, and um, I'm probably I'm probably very much minimising that. Uh, but it's 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 difficult, and yet there's this hope. There's, there's a hope in childbirth, isn't there? It's, it's it seems to be what gets you through, is that at the end of this, uh, it's going to be really good. We're going to see this little bub, this little new life come into the world. Uh, this is this is a a little phrase here. It's a phrase of hope pains of childbirth right up to the present time. It says, not only so, but we ourselves who, have, who are the, have the first fruits of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit living within us, those who have chosen to follow Jesus, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption of sonship. This groaning, it's a, it's a common human experience. We, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that uh, each one of us, as, as a human experience, when death or when um, someone steals from us or when someone hurts, from us, hurts us, there's this deep sense that it wasn't meant to be like this. Even when someone lives a, lives a fantastic long life and they get to the end of their life and, and they, they die, there's this sense of, oh, it wasn't meant to be like this. We, we deeply sense in our spirit that death and, uh, and decay is an intrusion on what was meant to be. So what happens is, is, is for the people of God, there's, there's a dual sense of that groaning. We, we, we groan because we know, we just internally sense that it wasn't meant to be like this. And we also groan because we know that uh, what has been promised to us, that everything is going to be restored, especially for those who uh, know and love Jesus. And we, there's this dual sense of groaning. It wasn't meant to be like this. And Jesus, come and restore all things. For in hope we were saved. But hope, is, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they have or already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait 
for it patiently. So hope, it's a, it's a future reality. It's something that is not yet. But in faith, we wait expectantly for that to become a reality. And we wait patiently. Look at what that means for a believer, for those who follow Jesus. We wait patiently knowing that the best is yet to come. It doesn't matter whether, whether our life is, is really good at this stage or really bad at this stage. We're still waiting patiently knowing that the best is yet to come. That's a wonderful privilege. And that, that feeds our present faith. And it, it gives life to our present walk of faith, that hope that has been promised to us. question that's often asked is, what will it be like? It's a question that we, we don't ask sometimes until we're faced with death, or the death of a, a loved one, or our own, um, our own death. And we say, what, what, what will it be like? As we look at this, we, we, uh, we do need to be, be cautious that uh, the Bible actually speaks a lot about um, new heaven and new earth, what's, what's to come. Uh, but there's a sense in which there will, there will be a, a little bit of uh, bringing threads together, a little bit of a lack of full clarity, not because it, it isn't uh, clear, not because it isn't um, brilliant or real, but because I think it's a little bit like if I was to go to a, a tribe in New Guinea that, that really uh, has been, been pretty in the middle of nowhere and try to explain them my iPhone. Uh, we're we're going to be using some different language there. I'm going to try and get them to understand, but, but just the, the words that I have access to and the common understanding that I have, we, we share, it's, it's going to make it hard to explain um, what, is, what, is to, what an iPhone is. And I think uh, that's what we find a little bit in the Scriptures where it talks about this, is it's, it's grappling at things that are so great that it's difficult to actually describe. The Bible talks a lot more about the, the final end, which is the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, the state between, for a believer, between uh, when we die and the, when Jesus comes again, there's a, there's a fair bit less about that. Uh, some people have, have looked at that and said, maybe, maybe there's some type of soul sleep in that we, um, we just kind of, there's this, this kind of sleep until Jesus returns. Um, and then the, one of the other major perspectives, which uh, I think there's much more evidence for, is that uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with Jesus. And uh, I, think, I think that's uh, this, this intermediate hope that we have, that uh, to be absent from the body is to be with Jesus. And that's going to be a, a marvelous day. And we'll wait with him until the time is complete and he returns and he restores all things and, and we have the, the new heaven and new earth. I've got a few things that I'm, I'm going to move through and uh, we're going to move through these really quickly. I, I can't go into them with, with great nuance. Um, what, what, what is it going to be like? I, I really pray that um, this would be a, an encouragement to us as we, as we think about the, the future hope that Jesus has in store for us. Number one, I've got there, we'll, we'll be active. Now, there's a, there's a, a kind of a bit of a mindset as we see uh, pictures of, of, of heaven or the life to come that you're just kind of floating around there uh, with, 
on clouds with, with nothing really to do. And, and I, was, I was really afraid of this as a little boy. I'm like, I don't want to go to heaven. That's going to be boring. Uh, every, every picture I ever saw of it was, was boring. And, uh, but I, I think about the way that God has created this world. And he said it's, he said it's good. And one of the things we seem to like as humans is we love exploring new things. Um, don't you love going to an area? Um, I, I, love, I actually love going on Google Earth and having a look around the place to see bodies of water somewhere. And, uh, and then I just set off and explore and go try and find these bodies of water. And I love to think that maybe I'm the first, I'm, I'm never the first person to be there. Uh, but sometimes it feels like that. I, I love to explore. And uh, I think that's going to be an aspect of the, of the new heaven and new earth. There will be exploration involved there. Uh, got work now that's, uh, that can be a bit of a, um, a, bit of a drudgery. Uh, it's, uh, Bible talk uses the word toil. And, uh, but in, in Revelations, it talks about there will... No longer will there be any curse. It's talking specifically about the uh, toiling in work. It's hard. It's, um, it's not easy. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. That work there, it will be a work that is a delight. You know there's work that's a delight when we cultivate and bring together um, parts of God's creation for good. Some people, uh, cooking is a delight for you. You just, you just love it. Not for me. It's not a delight for me. Um, for me, I, I love getting bits of wood and making them into something. That's a delight. There's, 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 there's very little toil in that for me. Um, others love getting in the garden and, and taking this, this hard soil and, and uh, preparing it and uh, enriching that soil and bringing something beautiful out of that. We'll be active. Don't exactly know what that will look like. But I assume that some of the wonderful things that we have in this world that we enjoy doing, we love exploring, we love uh, using the gifts that God has given us to bring about good. I'm sure that will be part of the new heaven and new earth. We'll think differently. Number two, it says, for now we see only as a reflection in a mirror. Mirrors in the ancient world weren't like our mirrors. They were cloudy and and not that great. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Um, We'll never know to the same extent which God knows, this, this expansive knowledge, knowledge of everything. But uh, there will be uh, a renewed perspective and a renewed capacity to be able to, to learn and see and, and explore. And uh, I, I, I long for that time where, where there'll be a, a clarity of things. And, and there's so many times in life where uh, I just think it would be, I just can't wait for a world that's actually ruled by Jesus. Like we're, in a, we're in a time right now and we kind of don't even, there's so many decisions and every lever that seems to be pulled, it just seems to be making a mess of the place. And uh, we, there's something in my heart that says, Jesus, would you come and would you reign and rule? Because even the best of us don't seem to be able to make this thing work. 
I think that was the point of, uh, of Genesis. When we said, God, will do it our way, and he knew. But he's coming back and he's coming to rule and reign. And that will be a good time. There will be a, re- a resemblance of this life. In Isaiah, it starts to, he starts to touch on, on, um, on, on what this new heaven and new earth might be like. It says, uh, you need to be careful here, but it says that, that we will build houses and dwell in them. Uh, they will plant vineyards and eat of their fruit. In John, speak, in Jesus speaking about the life to come, he says, in my father's house, there are many rooms or many dwellings. If that were not so, would I not have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I am preparing a place for you, I will come back and I will, I will take you to be with me and you will also be there where I am. There's going to be some sense of resemblance of uh, this life to, to the life to come, the new heavens, the renewed, renewed earth. We see that even in the, the resurrected body of Jesus. There was a difference in it, but there were similarities. Uh, he wasn't recognised at first, but once he, he, they did recognise him, that there was a recognition of him um, once again. Actually, we'll get there. Uh, can we go to the next one? We'll see each other again. I'm looking forward to, um, to seeing some people that were followers of Jesus who I loved and, and who are no longer with us. This is the same for Paul. He said in, in 1 Thessalonians, for what is our hope, our, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? He says, is it not you? He's talking to that, that church in, um, in Thessalonia and he's, he's saying, he's talking about the age to come and that, that they will be together. Think about 1 Samuel where David loses his, um, his baby, his infant baby. And he says this, he says, but now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? He was fasting and asking for God to intercede. Can I bring him back again? The answer is obviously no there. But I will go to him. Um, but he will not return to me. So this is acknowledgement of David that uh, uh, he, he, his, his little son has died, but one day he will see him again. It's a great encouragement for those who uh, lose little ones before their time and even in the womb. You'll still be you. We'll still have emotions. We'll still be us. We'll be recognisable. Uh, but what, what, what there won't be is there won't be those, uh, there won't be any need for those negative emotions. I think of this wonderful passage from Revelations. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. We won't miss our old life. In Isaiah 65 again, it says, See, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. In Romans 8, the passage that we were reading from just before, 
just before the passage that we read, read, this is Paul saying, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. This is Paul, one of the, one of the most significant figures in the early church and uh, loved, commissioned by God, and he had a, a tough life. The mission that God gave him, it, it, it meant that life was not easy at all. But he says, I, I consider this present sufferings. And, and we have present sufferings. That's what it is to be in, in this world at this time before, before here, where, where Jesus returns. Our life will have sufferings in it. And he says they're not worth comparing. Now, it's, in, it's important to understand what's being said here. Paul's not saying that, that sufferings in life, that they're nothing, that they're unimportant, that they're um, that just, he's not saying just get over it. He's saying in comparison, comparatively, that they that will be seen as nothing. I remember a couple of months ago now, we were at the, um, some hotel. I booked in a, a hotel that looks over the, uh, the, the story, story Bridge. We were in the city that night and uh, I booked it in for Julia and I and just I, I, I kind of looked for one of the, the cheaper rooms in a nice hotel and uh, Royal of the Park, Royal Brisbane, some, one of those ones that look over the Story Bridge. And we got there and it was fairly late at night and she said, oh sorry Mr. Stoff, um, we actually don't have any of your rooms that you booked it left. And I was like, okay. And they said, we've, we've, we've got a suite and I thought, okay, I can, I can live with that. And uh, so she, she, um, she gave us the key to our suite. And this was, this was like nothing else. Like, okay, so you walk into this place and you take a step in and there's a coffee machine and some bit of furniture here. I don't even know what this room is called that I walk into. Um, it's a, I don't know, reception room or something. And I come in and then I look over this side and there's like this huge walk-in wardrobe and I walk through the walk-in wardrobe and then there's like a, a powder room um, with mirrors and sinks and stuff like that. And then you walk through here and then there's like a spa bath here and there's a, a jewel shower thing and this toilet that looks like a throne. Um, and then you walk back around here, back to the door, and you come in here and there's a desk and there's like this office and then over here there's like a sitting room with couches that you kind of look at and you think you shouldn't sit on them. And then over here there's like this dividing wall and then there's the bedroom. And it's enormous and you're kind of lying on this mattress and you're like, okay, this is what a uh, multi-thousand dollar mattress feels like. Um, doesn't feel all that much different, but you can feel there's something, something different about it. I didn't think about that normal room that I ordered, not once, <laughs> not that whole time. I was looking out at that, that uh, beautiful, um, the river and the bridge in the background, and I wasn't going, oh, wonder what it would have been like in that room for the plebs down there. <laughs> I think that's what Paul's getting at. I think he's saying, yes, it, 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 it may be like that, but in comparison, you're not even going to think about it. It is so amazing. When I walked through that room, I kind of, my, my mouth was kind of open, like, wow, this is... I didn't even know that rooms like that existed. Um, I can't wait until we're received into the house that Jesus is preparing for us. 
will have a real body. We won't be just spirits. We won't be changed into angels. We get a picture of this in Jesus. He uh, he was able to eat, be recognizable, be touched. Real, but different. Probably more real than the bodies that we have now. We'll move down to real home. There's a sense in us that we long for something more. I think it was C.S. Lewis that said that we long for something more because we were made for something more. We feel like aliens here in a sense because we were made to come face to face with Jesus and to be in a place where he rules and he reigns. There's no more sadness where he wipes away every tear, where there's no more death or mourning or pain. In Philippians, let's put this this way. Our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await the Saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's uh, what we're doing, in a sense. We're living our lives well, but we eagerly await to be called back to where our citizenship actually is. We have this feeling quite often in, in different ways. I um, kind of feeling like a holiday at the moment. Um, I've got one coming in up at the beginning of December and I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to that holiday. And there's a sense in which I'm, I'm looking forward to Jesus coming. You know, when I, when I go on holidays, um, I'll be on holidays for a little while, maybe it's one or two weeks, and then if you're away from home, do you know how there's just this sense that, oh, I'd like to go home again? Uh, just for the, just the security and the, and the knowingness and, and the, it's, it's just familiar. We're, we're kind of always in this state of, 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 of longing for home, longing for something different, longing for a holiday, longing for home, and uh, it's, it's echoing what's going on inside. We were meant for something more. We're citizens of a different place. But our citizenship is in heaven. For the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, the best is yet to come. It doesn't matter where we are in at this life at the moment, whether it's really, really good or whether it's really, really bad, we can always say the best is yet to come. That's amazing. That, that changes the way we walk, no matter what situations we walk through, to be able to say at all occasions the best is yet to come. That changes the way we live. In Matthew 16, wow, look at that time. Uh, what good will it be if someone is to gain the whole world yet forfeits their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Could I actually have um, someone go out, I'm just looking for someone, and just let Tanya know that we're probably going to run 10 minutes. Thanks, Kylie. What good will it be if someone gains the whole world, yet forfeits their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus offers this hope, this hope that we long for to anyone who will put their faith in him. 
who will say, Jesus, I, I, I want to do it your way. I, I, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for a way to put things back together again. And Lord, I want, I want to join you in what you're doing. I want to join you in, in this new heaven and new earth. We're going to uh, listen to a we're going to sing a song very soon. We're going to listen to the, um, the, the meaning of this song. But before we do that, I, uh, I, I hope that this future hope that we've explored again today encourages you and, uh, and, and lights your heart in some way. But I wonder if there's someone here that, uh, that may not have that hope. They may have been exploring Christianity for a while, exploring Jesus and uh, sometimes there's a moment in which it's time to say, yes, I'm in. There's something, as, I, as I've heard this, I, I don't know what's going on, but something's resonating with me. And, 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 and I know that I, I'm part of this brokenness, but, but Jesus, I, I need you. And uh, I, I just ask everyone to, to close their eyes. And I'm just going to say a prayer. And if you would like to say, Jesus, I, I want to follow you. And uh, I, I, I want to be able to say the best is yet to come in any circumstance. I'm going to say this prayer. And would you just say that quietly in your own heart uh, after me, if this, is, um, if this is what you would like to do to come follow Jesus. God, I need you. Come and change my life. Make me a new person. Jesus, I believe that you took the punishment for my sin. Forgive me. Forgive everything that I've done wrong against you and against others. Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Saviour. And I'll now live my life for you. Would you keep your heads bound? If that's something that you've prayed for the very first time, I'd invite you just to look up at me and uh, I'll just acknowledge you. Not with words, I'll just give you a, a little nod. Thank you. Lord Jesus, it is a privilege to be able to be called your people. That we have this, this great hope of what you have promised, that you are going to restore all things. Lord, that this, this, this feeling in of that, that things aren't the way that it's meant to be, that, that, is, that was placed there by you, because things aren't the way that they're meant to be, that you have a hope and that you have... A, a, a wonderful future for us. Lord, I thank you for that, that eternity that you've placed in our hearts, the longing for something more, and I, I, I thank you that there is something that's representative of that, that you're going to restore all things. So, Lord, as we, as we hold this hope of you coming back, of seeing you face to face, as we hold that in faith in front of us, would you strengthen us would you strengthen our present faith? Would you feed it? Would you give it life?
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to invite the, I want to invite the music team up. Um, we're just going to watch a video before we, before just a little short one before we sing the last song. And this is a guy that went through a life that's really, really quite difficult. And he was able to hold in his hands that the best is yet to come. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how, how good it is, the best is yet to come. And that's the reason he was able to, to pen the song, It Is Well With My Soul. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't see that God had caused the things that had happened in his life. But because he, he could always see that the best is yet to come, he was able to still sing, It Is Well With My Soul. Let me play the, move, the video. Horatio Spafford was a well-known lawyer and businessman in Chicago in the 1860s, where he lived with his wife Anna and their five children. He had invested heavily in real estate along the shores of Lake Michigan. He was a prosperous man and a devout Christian. However, in 1870, a series of events began to turn Horatio's world upside down. That year, Horatio and Anna's only son died of scarlet fever at the tender age of only four. A year later, while the Spaffords were still grieving the loss of their son, the Great Chicago Fire broke out and destroyed nearly every one of Horatio's investments. His entire life savings was gone. disasters had taken on his family, Horatio decided to take his wife and four daughters on a holiday to England, where they planned to accompany the famous evangelist D.L. Moody on his next crusade. However, just before they set sail, a last-minute business development forced Horatio to delay. Not wanting to ruin the family holiday, he persuaded his family to go on as planned he would follow along later. With this decided, Horatio stayed in Chicago while Anna and the girls boarded the French steamship Ville du Havre to set sail for England. But several days later, Horatio received devastating news. The Ville du Havre had been struck by an iron sailing vessel from England. The ship sank in only 12 minutes, claiming the lives of 226 passengers. It was the worst disaster in naval history until the sinking of the HMS Titanic 40 years later. The next day, he received a telegraph from Anna 
Wales, it read these six words, survived alone, what should I do? The Spafford's four daughters were among those who perished. hearing the terrible news, Horatio boarded the next ship out of New York to join his bereaved wife. During his voyage, the captain of the ship called him to the bridge. A careful reckoning has been made, he said, and I believe we are now passing the very place where the Ville du Havre sank. And it was there while staring into the watery grave of his beloved daughters, that Horatio pinned the words to the great hymn, It is well with my soul.